I'm History of the Flash, but you can call me JD. And Ahoy, I'm the comic book hunter, also known as Hunter. And this is a Hero Story special episode because we have with us today for an interview the writer of the New 52 Teen Titans, Red Hood for the last decade or so, and of course the highly anticipated miniseries Flash Forward, Scott Lobdell. Scott, welcome. Thank you. And listen, kids out there, uh, don't ever reply to people on Instagram because this <laughs> is what happens. Yes, okay. Scott was uh, very nice to answer my DM, and this is how this podcast started, or podcast interview started, rather, and we are very thankful to have Scott on. Uh, we love to have writers on and talk with them, and we lo- just love to talk comics on here if you're a regular listener. What, and, other, uh, what other writers have you had? We had Joshua oh, Williamson a couple of months ago. Oh, yep. What does, he, what does he write? Uh, the Flash, uh, Flash Rebirth, yeah, uh-huh. and okay. he did the bit of Justice League Odyssey at the start, and he's currently about to write uh, Superman and Batman, huh? With the yeah, whole Batman and Laughs thing, so mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and so now got a lot on his plate, and now we got you who's writing the Flash Forward, which uh, for me personally, Wally West is my favorite character, so this is a series that is very special to my heart because it's something <laughs> that I've wanted since about 2011, and uh, and I think it's something that you've wanted since 2011 with all the stories that I've read online. So uh, I'm sure for it's very me? special for you to have this series. Are you asking? Are you talking about me? Yes. Uh, no, I mean I think you might be confused with Brett. Uh, Brett Booth has been wanting to. Uh, Right, uh, I've been wanting to draw a Wally West uh, series for as long as I've been working with him, which was in the earliest stages of uh, the Teen Titans New Fifty Two. But I, you know, I never, I never, I mean, to me, Flash, uh, Kid Flash wasn't, or Wally wasn't even an option because he wasn't around. So I never, I, I never pined to pined away from him or anything. And in fact, I'll tell you the truth, uh, that I personally find uh, speedsters the hardest uh, characters to write in a story especially team book because by the time you know cap yells avengers uh you know the speedster has taken away everybody's gun and taken away their uh costumes and dropped them off at the local police station and come back to hear you know cap say assemble yeah yeah definitely there's uh some kind of nerf aspect that has to be written into most uh speedsters in the team books whether it's on the justice league or on the teen titans uh yeah yeah. for sure i can definitely see that it's always like right away you gotta like oh no they knocked him over the head you know or something you know like he's trapped in amber and it's so traditionally like i say that's been uh that's uh, speedsters and something i would normally lean into Mm -hmm. but with this i have to say like the uh action sequence there's an action sequence in issue three that's like almost unspeakable it's like just the coolest opening that i've ever gotten to write in a comic Mm -hmm. book and you know being able to like this particular story with wally is not a uh you know it's not a rogue story it's not a uh stop the bad guys from uh, robbing a bank story like this story is so epic in its scope that it allows Wally to do things with his powers that you know we haven't seen before I don't think and I have to say I don't think because I'm not a uh, uh, I'm not somebody that's read every speedster story 
So mm-hmm. I may be, uh, I don't want to oversell it, but I will say that like I've been having a tremendous amount of fun coming up with set pieces that are specific to the fastest man alive. So that's been really, really fun. So. Oh, that's great. Okay, yeah. Cool. Uh, we, we love the way that you write the flash uh, for the flash and speed buggy, speed buggy issue that was from, I believe, 2017, uh, just the special uh, issue with Hanna-Barbera character. But I, I thought that was uh, very well written in the way that you respected Wally's lore and included a character like Linda Park, who, I mean, it was a non-canon story, of course, but it was such a fun read and uh, one of my favorite reads of that year, of course. Well, you know, it's funny. Is, uh, I have, you know, Linda appears in the first issue of the series and they were like well we don't know if she's even we don't know what her status is in regard to wally and i go i know what it was because i read it in speed buggy flash so they're like oh okay so apparently that story is uh in canon now oh wow <laughs> oh so, wow yeah okay. that's awesome yeah that was like a very uh we we loved it and uh brett's brett's art was such a great uh aspect of that whole story i think he has such a gift for drawing speedsters and drawing speed uh you know speed stuff all around well you know brett likes um to listen to podcasts when he's drawing oh nice so, ho- so hopefully he'll never hear this because i'll tell you that <laughs> when he did uh when we did that christmas issue for flash for walmart Mm-hmm. Uh, it was. A, do you remember? Did you read the Christmas issue? Or? Uh, no, I actually haven't. Yeah, I haven't oh yeah, either. there's a good. Yeah, there's a good Barry. It's a Barry Flash story that was written by me and drawn by Brett. And there's a prison break, I guess, at Iron Gate. And yeah, Iron Heights. Iron Heights, yeah. And uh, he, he did the pages, and it was a two-page spread of. Uh, um, the flash like racing through uh and taking out eight characters in the middle of this riot and even though i wrote it and i wrote it full script so i could you know kind of give an indication of where everything was when the art came back it was so detailed that i had to have the uh editor highlight all like eight flashes because I couldn't even make it out. It was like, I was, oh, it was just so much going on at once. Yeah. So much going on. And I'm like, you know, and then we went through and we're like, oh, wait, no, wait, there's one more. There's a ninth one there. So he like highlighted it. <laughs> and that was the only way I could, you know. So, I mean, it seems to me from what I've seen of the pages so far that he's uh, drawing darker on these pages. That's, that that's, won't be an issue. But, but you know, I'll tell you a funny story. I mean, I'm bouncing around here, but who cares? No, no worries. Um, <laughs> yeah, of course. There's a, um, you know, there's a group of people in the second issue of Flash well, Horror. Well, yeah. Okay. And well, I'll, I'll tell you, it doesn't matter because it's probably going to be misolicited anyway. But the thing <laughs> is, is that Wally goes to different uh, planets in the multiverse because of the black matter that's like spreading through and the only guy that can stop it is Wally so for reasons you'll see in the story but at one point in the second issue uh, he uh, winds up encountering the DC Earth that is essentially home to all the Marvel 
superheroes. Um, oh. <laughs> I, I forget what I forget what number it is. Somebody will find out, or you guys can find out. But it's a uh, it's the Earth with all the Marvel superhero equivalents on it, the Crusaders. Oh, and, okay. Yeah, and so there's this four page sequence where Wally shows up at the base of the Grand Canyon and essentially the Marvel Universe is there and he has to get through them to accomplish something so when I got to the point in the plot I said uh, yeah and then Wally squares off against the entire Marvel Universe uh, <laughs> if you need any suggestions let me know but otherwise have fun <laughs> so <laughs> Brett's like alright so he like loves to you know just be able to uh, have the freedom to draw what he wants. So okay. I don't. So I don't usually uh, leave free spaces like that. But I just know that he's going to have so much fun having Wally take on the entire Marvel universe. That you know, I'll have my fun when it comes time to script it. But yeah. Know. So was so. that approved then? Having the Marvel universe in this title well like i say it's not uh, it's not the marvel universe it's the you know like if you read do you remember uh mul multiplicity oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah multiplicity, oh so it's yeah. like different versions of oh, like sorry multiversity multiplicity was that movie with uh michael keaton um <laughs> yeah the multi uh multiversity uh showed us all the different worlds in the dc universe the 52 worlds and yeah the on one of these worlds it's long been established that there is essentially, you know, there's like a character called the American Crusader, and that guy is, for all intents and purposes, Cap. And there's uh, a character that is uh, a Norse god of uh, some kind of something. And we look at that and go, oh, yeah, that's Thor. So, so it's not the actual Marvel Universe, but it's essentially, you know... Yeah, it's sort of like how uh, Marvel has the Squadron Supreme, which is exactly. almost like the Justice League. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So, okay. So, but imagine like Flash, or, or imagine Wally just being able to like square off against all these characters. It's gonna be so much fun. I can imagine Brett's gonna have a lot of fun drawing those pages. I, I can already picture the kind of spreads we're gonna get, and I'm so excited. Uh, but before we get really big into the flash forward questions, and trust me, we will be getting to them. Uh, let's start with some personal questions. So, uh, Scott, um, at what age did you kind of get into comics, and what were you reading at that age, and uh, what kind of was the draw I to didn't comics? Start, I didn't start reading comics until I was around 16 or 17. Because I was in a, uh, I wasn't in a, I had a terrible lung issues and I kept going to the hospital with these collapsed lungs. And when I was in uh, the hospital, people would bring me comics because I was too young for, you know, Playboy and other stuff. And so <laughs> they bought comics and I hadn't, hadn't really read comic books until then. But when you're reading, uh, because I read it at that age, like, I'm not like a, a Mark Wade or a Kurt Busiek who, you know, can tell you what Superman had for breakfast in, <laughs> you know, Action 23 and, you know, uh, how much it costs and, you know. Yeah. Kept a receipt, you know, that he turned into Perry White. You know, like, they know all that stuff. That's not where I ever came from. I just came, like, the very first time I read a comic book was Avengers 137 that I recall 
And I opened the book. I'm like, oh, my God, like somebody has to write this. That's the coolest. Thing. Like this is somebody's job to write these stories. And so I always looked at stories as, you know, uh, telling like I, I think I think the history of I think the history of any character is important, but I also think that uh, you know, like Tim, you know, uh, when I was doing uh, Teen Titans, and uh, you know, people were like, you know, Tim is the best character, and Tim is, uh, you know, he's sixteen, and da 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 da, and you have to write him, and he's like sixteen, and I'm like. Okay, he's been 16 for about 30 years now. Like, <laughs> it's a lot of birthdays to give somebody, you know, over the course of a, you know, and, and, and think in your head that he's still 16. So, like, so like I think it's important to acknowledge characters' histories, but I also think that, you know, in writing stories, you have to, you know, internally edit things and make choices, and uh, for better or for worse... I think I've been good about uh, not necessarily uh, having to cling to every detail of uh, somebody's history, but also, you know, respecting it to the degree that one can, you know, like, yeah, you, you know, res- like, yeah, you respect the continuity, of course. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. like people will say, like people will say to me like, Oh, I love the kids. I love all these kids. And they're the most important part about Wally. And Wally had these kids for like 20 years and that, series or and i'm like okay well that's true but you know the kids weren't 21 year olds or 25 year olds like you know they were what like eight and ten or something like for yeah yeah they were young yeah and it's like okay so you know you gotta move on you can't assume yeah you can't assume that all 20 years of these characters stories were told you know you just have to yeah and uh, take what you can from each character and you know yeah, and some characters age, like Dick Grayson, he was Robin, and they became Nightwing, and characters age, they just age very slowly in comics, unless you're, yeah. say, John Kent. Yeah, and even yeah, and even in New 52, like, they were, like, saying, uh, you know, it's only been five years since the start of New 52, it's only been five years, it's like, okay, well, Batman should be arrested, because he just blew through, you know, five to seven Robins. <laughs> you know, in a five-year period, that's pretty. You know, like, yeah. You know why? Why child services isn't at <laughs> Wayne Manor every week? Going, uh, you know, yeah. It, couldn't help notice that Jason died and Damien's covered in bruises. I mean, it's like you know, it's so that it was a short amount of time to, uh, you know. But now it's like a few years later, there will be people that argue that Tim, uh, not the Tim, was that Tim Dick. That Dick was a cop at one point, and you know, in his history and stuff, and it's like, okay, you know, if you want to, I always felt like when I was writing New Fifty Two, a lot of times I felt like, you know, if people wanted to believe that their story still existed, then that's great. Then you know, yeah. let them work that in, into their own continuity, and you know, I wasn't going to argue with anybody about it. So, I think a lot of people did think that, especially with Batman, where five years of being Batman, and he's already had Nightwing. Uh, uh, like Dick Grayson was Robin, then Nightwing, Jason Todd's died and been Red Hood, and Tim Drake's been Robin, then Red Robin, and you know, Damien's Robin, all in five years. Like, it's kind of hard to believe yeah. that. Yeah, those kids would, sure, would all be in therapy by now. So. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, and it's also too thing like when I, and again, I'm skipping around, but when I was writing uh, Superman, 
and I was writing Lois, you know, like people, it was, it was, could be a little frustrating sometimes because it was the new 52 and continuity was changed. And, you know, that was the job that they asked me to do. And so that was the stories that I was writing. But, you know, people would say like, you know, you don't understand Lois. Lois is an icon. Lois is the best. I grew up reading Lois, Lois, Lois. And it's like, okay, yeah, Lois has had some great stories, but Lois also spent about 30 years trying to trick Batman into, I'm sorry, trick Superman into marrying her, you know, and, mm. you know, uh, dressing up as uh, orangutan. And it's like, you know, like when you look at all the, all the stories that involve Lois, like if you go to a, uh, coverbrowser.com and you type in Lois Lane, you know, there are absurd issues of Lois and there are like, you know, there's like a bondage Lois uh, series of covers where she was like tied to Jeep and tied to tree and it's like every month they were like tying her somewhere. (laughs) And it's like, you know, this is a character that, yeah, over years she has become this person, but you can't reconcile who she is now. You can't reconcile Greg Rucka's Lois with the Lois that existed, you know, through most of the 60, yeah, yeah, 60s like and 70s. Silver you know? Age. Yeah, you just can't. You just have to be like, okay, you know. So so when people carry on about, like, a character's rich history, and it's like, well, you're, you're kind of carrying on about what you like best about the character and not necessarily, you know, the character in total because, you know. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. That's true, and of course, the new Fifty Two was brought on to kind of change characters in a way, such as how uh, uh, you know, no, more noticeable, uh, such as like somebody that you wrote, Roy, uh, was certainly different from his pre Fifty Two counterpart, or a lot of the Teen Titans were different from their pre Fifty Two counterpart. And the point was to change these characters because that was the point of the reboot and uh, changing things up. Yeah, like even characters like. Some characters stayed the same. I like to think that Hal Jordan didn't really change. And even to an extent, Jason Todd kind of kept like his older counterpart. But mm-hmm. I know what you mean. Yeah. Well, like, you know, Red Hood's a perfect example. Like when I was doing Red Hood and I um, was dealing with some of his history, like, you know, some of this sounds like sacrilege, but like, you know, there's that series where. After he came back to life, they, uh, you know, Talia brought him to like a Russian counterfeiter and a Polish arms dealer. And, you know, the idea was he was supposed to learn all the dark secrets, sort of like the opposite of what, you know, Batman taught him. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but I looked at that and I was thinking, you know what, like the first week at uh, Wayne Manor. I mean, I'm sure you're going to learn more about the criminal underworld under Batman's tutelage than you would ever learn, you know, by hanging out with a counterfeiter or something. It's like, you know, like, like Batman, I I don't know. I just kind of think that like, to me, I thought the whole thing was absurd. I'm like, Mm -hmm. there's nothing that there's nothing Jason Todd doesn't know about the criminal underworld that he didn't learn from Batman. And so my feeling was if he, did go through a period where he was learning something different that's when i came up with the whole you know all cast and dukra and you know this notion that you know how do you separate jason's abilities and history necessarily from all the other robins 
And my feeling was like, you know, let him be more of a ninja. Let him be, you know, somebody who, because none of the character, none of the other characters really had a kind of mystical element to their, uh, 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 you know, to their uh, training as a, as a. Their uh, origin so. in a way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. So, but yeah, for the most part, that was the, exactly the same uh, Jason, but, you know, over the years, He's developed. I, uh, he's developed, and also he's like you know, like I, uh, you know, like I do a lot of work with uh, Jason and his father. Yeah, because like I recently. think it's yeah, and I think it's really easy. It's like you know, it's really easy to as a human being, everybody, to kind of like cast their parents in a light that isn't necessarily fair because you know like my father was by the time my father was 26 years old he had seven kids you know oh wow and like like i don't know how old are you guys uh Uh, 21 yeah okay all right so by 21 he had already had three you know so like Okay. Imagine you guys. Imagine how different your guys' lives would be Fair right now. We had, would not like, be on this podcast if we had three kids running around. <laughs> right. And and trying to, you know, like my mother didn't work, so you know, she. So he had to, you know, constantly be making enough money to feed all these kids. So it's like, you know, I mean, my father was a great guy, but I do think that, like, I I look at like when people say like, well, my dad did this, and my dad was mean, and my dad. I'm like thinking, you know, what you don't even understand like what that must have been like you know growing up and just trying to figure out how to be a father it's you know or a mother it's like you know there you don't really get you don't get prepared to you know deal with kids and their problems and growing up and finances and i mean that doesn't happen until you're actually married and you start to try to figure it out so so i just kind of felt that like yeah jason certainly did have a terrible childhood but jason's also done a lot of terrible things so i think that yeah. I don't know. So I think it was important to, you know, go in and uh, look at his uh, life in a way that wasn't, you know, just him being beaten to death with a crowbar, you know, like, yeah, what was Jason's life, like, you know. yeah, it's kind of like he doesn't need to bring up the crowbar every time in a way, kind of like how Cyborg <laughs> always brings up if he's man or machine, like he's more than just a crowbar, <laughs> I guess you could say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, do you want to go to some flash forward questions now? Sure. All right, JD, you want to ask the first one? Yeah, yeah, I'll start. So, um, so we get the feeling from obviously the Doc Shaner cover with the uh, kind of galaxy background uh, that it's going to be a cosmic story, and you had mentioned uh, multiverse stuff. So, um, for the six issues, is any of it going to be set on Earth, or is it mostly just going to be set like cosmic and multiverse stuff? Um, the first issue is all on Earth, and okay. uh, the other issues take place in uh, on different worlds. Mm-hmm. But uh, again, this will probably be on a cover soon, so I don't think it's giving anything away. But when he's on the uh, vampire world, which is a world where the Justice League have all become vampires. Doctor, you know, uh, Batman yeah. tried yeah. to take out Dracula and inadvertently 
turned everybody into vampires. Yeah. Um, so he shows up on this world and he winds up meeting a, so he, um, on this world, he meets this, the ultimate vampire hunter who doesn't use, uh, stakes. He uses arrows Mm. and we find out that the most resourceful, inventive, thrill-seeking vampire hunter is a guy named Roy Harper. Oh. And so this is going to give uh, Wally, A, the opportunity to possibly save this Roy Harper, but also lets him start to deal with his tremendous guilt over what happened so oh right because he was in crisis yeah so while it feels like oh this is a big story where he's sitting on planet with vampires it is but it more importantly is this intensely deep emotional story for roy as he winds up you know facing another version of this close friend of his who he inadvertently killed so mm-hmm. so it's a big story but it's a small story and all the big you know there this this six issue is a huge epic story but it's an epic story that's made up of a lot of really small stories so okay interesting would you um like it like in the first issue Roy is in prison yeah so me uh you know like in the first issue Wally is in prison where he is awaiting trial, mm-hmm. but he rejects uh, any defense because he doesn't feel what he did is defendable and he wants to be punished, maybe more so than the criminal justice system wants to punish him. Mm-hmm. And so he's in prison and somebody comes to visit him and try to talk him into making a defense for himself and she feels strongly because she has uh, seen the videos from the uh, sanctuary mm-hmm. and so she really finally for the first time understands what he's been going through and that woman is Linda Parker oh uh-huh. Linda, I'm Whoa. sorry Linda Park sorry Linda Park oh. yeah the um, love interest his wife for years and years oh that's great yeah. So she's and returning. So, okay. So, yeah, so the thing is that so this whole series has a lot of really small moments in a really bigger story. Because, like, I know that it's easy to look at uh, Wally and go, well, Wally's a speedster. Why is he, you know, running from planet to planet? And, you know, and but when you read the story, you'll see that, yeah, there is this epic story about Wally on these different worlds, but it's really about Wally coming to terms with what happened in Heroes in Crisis. So, uh, you know, and it's funny because when I was talking to the guys at first, they were like, well, you know, Wally's very depressed because he's a murderer. And I go, well, he's not really a murderer. He's, you know, at most you could say it was like second degree manslaughter. He, you know, had super, like, if you're cleaning a gun and the gun goes off and it kills somebody, yeah, that's uh, a bad thing, but 
with Wally, like you know, Wally never asked to have these superpowers. It's not like he's. It's not like he was even holding the gun and it went off. It's like, you know, he was the gun. His powers uh, got out of control. People were hurt, but I don't see how anybody could say that you know Wally was, you know, quote unquote a murderer. He didn't mean to. Yeah. 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 And then another thing too is like people say to me like you know they they've said it, they said it, and also. Um, I was at a convention last weekend and so many people were saying like, well, you know, Wally's really upset because he uh, framed, uh, he really did something wrong because he framed uh, Harley and Booster. And so, you know, he feels really bad about that. And I said, I'm sorry, is there a worse, if you're going to, if you're going to frame somebody, is there a worst way than to frame two different people for the same crime i mean it's like you know it's like <laughs> like who would frame two different people for yeah <laughs> the same crime it's like because right away the very first thing you're saying is okay one of these two is a lie yeah if one of these two are a lie then why can't they both be a lie you know like yeah in fact it almost makes more sense that both are a lie if both of the evidence points to both of them, you know? Yeah. It's like, how is that possible? It's not possible. So it's unlikely that it's either one of them. It's like, I know it's, I mean, I realized that Wally was upset, but I really, I can't imagine like a worse idea than, you know, framing people. <laughs> but frame, I mean, frame, even framing, like if he was going to frame booster. Okay. Yeah. That wasn't a, a, a good thing. Although it only lasted four days, I mean, it's not like Booster went to jail for fifty years. Was Booster wasn't even arrested for God's sake? Yeah, yeah. but you know, it's like what's that? I'm, no, I'm just on. saying. I'm just agreeing. Like he was put in the uh, Hall of Justice for a bit, but he broke out with Ted Cord. Yeah, I mean, it's like that's like you know, I mean, especially when you're a superhero, that's like a Tuesday for God's sake. You know, it's not like <laughs> you, know, you know. And so, so to me, you know, I don't, I, I don't buy into this thing that while he's like oh my god i framed you know it, it's not like he framed dick or uh you know donna i mean what who does he care about you know why yeah you know, those are some of his best friends he, he framed people that don't really meet like booster has no real connection to wally and harley of course is you know basically a villain to him like really no connection to him so it was kind of just two people that were there but not really a connection to him yeah, and I think even in the story, don't they say it's like five days? It's like five days later that the other, you know. Yeah, all of Heroes in Crisis there. takes place about in about just five days, really. Yeah, and yeah. So I don't know. I mean, if I was if I was Booster, and it's like, oh yeah, I get it. You tried to frame me, big deal. You know, I didn't do it. So what's the big deal? It's like, I don't know. I just feel that sometimes moments are supposed to be more dramatic than they turn out to be I think yeah. but, would mm-hmm. you consider uh, Flash 4 to be more of a Heroes in Crisis epilogue or a standalone story in a way I see it as the end of a chapter in Wally's life that started in the final moments of Flashpoint so I think that readers uh who have been following Wally from Flashpoint up to now, even the 
points when Wally wasn't around. Uh, I think we'll be able to look at the last 10 years of story and see that it was all uh, by design, that it was it, that's an, it's an actual full story. And by the end of this miniseries, we'll have closed out, you know, this particular chapter in Wally's life. So, mm-hmm. okay. But cool. so, so certainly, yes, certainly, um, Heroes in Crisis, uh, is the starting point for the series, but, uh, it's not necessarily, you know, the series. So, yeah. Cool. So, how, how do you view Heroes in Crisis as both? Like, I'll get, like do you guys, man. to me, um, as of right now, Wally is going to wake up at the start of issue five and mm. chunk is going to be standing over him oh you know okay you remember chunk yeah yeah from the chunk? early like mike Barron run yeah and uh yeah william mr Loeb's. yeah of course yeah so just to give you an idea of like the scope of this story and its place in the history of, of wally's life so um but I'm sorry, you were asking a question. I think. Yeah, no, I was just going to ask, um, since we were talking about Heroes in Crisis, how do you view Heroes in Crisis both like a fan and as a writer? Because uh, Heroes in Crisis was controversial, to say the least. Uh, a lot of people felt like it was another like identity crisis, controversy-wise. And obviously, when you have a hero involuntarily kill a bunch of other heroes, it's just like, whoa, that's, of course, going to be controversial. And a beloved character like Wally West doing it is, of course, controversial. So... Uh, how do you view it as both like a fan and as a writer? Like, is there some kind of understanding as a writer that is not an understanding as a fan or how, how does that work for you? Um, that's a tricky question. Uh, I, uh, you know, I always, I say that a lot of times after having done this for several decades now, that it's kind of like uh, when you're reading when you're a writer and you're reading a story, it's kind of like being a magician in the audience watching another magician where everybody's like, ooh, ah, ooh, and you're like, oh, yeah, I see what he did. He did the thing and the, you know, the rabbit is really in his jacket the whole time. And, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, so you're not really watching the magic, you're watching the art and mm-hmm. or the technique and that's kind of how I have felt for a while now reading comic books. So I don't necessarily feel that I read uh, Heroes in Crisis as a fan Mm -hmm. because I think I was looking at the choices that were being made both by the characters and by the writer and by editorial and by you know probably publishing and so you know and having been in the middle of that more than once i know that you know that sometimes the writer's best intentions don't make it to the page or they you know make it through to the first three pages or first three issues but in the fourth issue suddenly you know uh motivations can change or you know instant you know momentum can change and so i think that uh that's how i was uh that's how i read uh new i'm sorry that's how i read heroes in crisis was i was looking at you know some of uh 
Tom's bolder choices and um, maybe looking at some of the uh, the surgery it takes to uh, you know put together uh, any one story so mm-hmm. um, you know looking at the sutures and the clamps and the, you know mm-hmm. bringing extra blood and yeah um so flash forward is a mini series as of now if it ever does become an ongoing series and you're still the writer and brett booth is the artist do you have a story in mind of continuing where it left off um yeah i do i mean i you know honestly like uh yeah i uh i feel that i could easily write wally for you know at least 50 issues oh wow okay cool so so you can have um, a plan, like an unofficial plan, I guess you could say. Well, I almost never, I almost never plan, even like with Red Hood. Like I don't like to, you know, I always refer to it as chew, chewing my food twice. You know, like sometimes they'll be like, oh, you need to do this six month interview or overview and it has to be really detailed and da da da. And I'm like, ugh, who, who would want to do that? You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like you have a date on Friday, but you, you know, write a, a, a article, uh, you know, write yeah. <laughs> 15 pages about what the date's going to be like on Wednesday. It's like, ugh. so, um, <laughs> so I don't like to go too far ahead. Like probably, um, you know, like I pretty much know what happens between, uh, Red Hood 41 and I'm sorry, Red Hood 42 and Red Hood, Red Hood and the Outlaws 50. But, but so I know what's going to happen there. But after that, I I probably won't have an idea until I get around to issue, you know, 47 or 48. And I'll be like, (laughs) yeah, because right now we're on 36, which came out last week. Yeah. But that's like, to me, that's what keeps it fresh to, you know, understandable. Yeah. Like Fabian and I used to have these, um, I wouldn't even, they didn't rise to level arguments, but when I was doing Uncanny and he was doing uh, X-Men, he would get very frustrated because he knew what he was going to do with uh, the X-Men for over the next five years. Like he knew, like he had a chart of where each issue was going to be per year, you know, 12 issues per year for the next mm-hmm. five years. And I would get to the end of an issue and there'd be a cliffhanger and they would be like, what happens next? I'm like, I don't know. I can't wait to find out. Like, you know, <laughs> I'm going to sit down and figure this out. Cause that's not, I mean, like, look, they're, you know, trapped by the Sentinels. How are they going to get out of that? You know? And so I, you know, I try to, I've tried to always be as close to the moment as I can, because, you know, I like to, uh, you know, like even when we were ta- talking just now and I gave you the reveal about Roy and the reveal about Linda, like, I like that to feel fresh and not feel like, oh, I know what's going to happen with Linda and I know Roy. And it's like, you know, I, I like the surprises. I like surprising you. I like surprising me, you know. Yeah, so, it makes sense. I even surprised the other. The other, the other was like, I read it and all of a sudden Linda walks in. I'm like, what? <laughs> goes, but I loved it. I loved that she was there. So it's like, okay, cool. So. Yeah, I love that she's going to be there as well. 
Yeah, yeah, the Titans treated her so like she was in maybe the first six or seven issues of Titans and then she kind of just hasn't appeared since. And uh, since Wally's story, I mean, he hasn't had the solo book. He's just been, he was a sporting member of the Titans and then he appeared in Flash for a little bit and then Heroes in Crisis. So he hasn't really had time to really interact with Linda again. So it's great to see her coming back. I mean, she's such an important part of Wally's history and yeah, she's one of my favorite love interests in all of comics. Mm-hmm. So that's awesome. All right. Well, that's the next question, JD. Yeah, yeah. So um, with Flash Forward, like, do you view it as more of a redemption story for Wally? Like, like obviously, everything that happened happened. It, it's something that he wants to build forward from, I mean, presumably. Like you said, he felt guilty about it and didn't want the defense attorney. But, like, does... Like how how does he feel about this? Is, is this a story about like redeeming him and bringing him back to the excellence he once was? Well, I guess. I mean, it's kind of right there in the title, in the sense it's called Flash Forward, mm-hmm. which I, I, I like that name a lot. Yeah, and I think it's about you know like taking everything that's happened to Wally in the last ten years. It's it's been a pretty brutal run for the guy. Definitely. And you know like you know. I probably used the word redemption, so I shouldn't uh, poo-poo it. But like, I do think that it's less about redeeming himself as much as it is putting himself together and using his experiences to propel him forward. You know, mm-hmm. which I think is you know an important lesson for every uh, everybody, really. You know, yeah. but I think that. Uh, so, you know, and again, like, I kind of, I shouldn't, part of me feels like I shouldn't say this because, uh, you know, it's, I'm not really sure if editorial agrees with me, but like, again, I don't, I don't see Wally as somebody, like, I think Wally feels terrible about the death of the people oh, of at course. the sanctuary, but I don't necessarily feel that Wally you know, I don't feel that Wally murdered anyone. I don't feel. I, Wally yeah, that, that's very accurate. I think to what happened. Yeah. Although, like I say, I don't necessarily know if DC, uh, if editorial necessarily agrees with me on that. But the way the story is told, it's kind of a. Uh, it doesn't necessarily uh, need to be agreed upon. So. Hmm. Yeah, that's fair. Um. This is a question that you don't have to answer if you can't, just for spoiler reasons, but we already know that Linda is going to be returning in Flash Forward and another version of Roy Harper. Are there any other DC characters that will be appearing in this series? Oh, absolutely. Okay. okay any cool. specific okay. ones that you could tell us? Or? <laughs> um, I wouldn't say specific ones, but I would, yeah, that's say, fair. A very, I would say a very specific two. Okay. Oh, interesting. Good so, to know. Yeah, I mean, w- Wally has such a great supporting cast from you know any run, Wade's run or John's run. So there's definitely a lot to choose from. And you but are any of them before. in twos? Linda's certainly a one, but are any of them in twos? Hmm. Ooh. Ooh. Okay, any, I like that tease. I like that a lot. <laughs> are there any two particular people that you would most want Wally to see again? Hmm. Oh, I mean, for me, it's mm. like Bart Allen and and uh, Max Mercury, but also Giant Irie. So there's, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of possible twos. Mm. <laughs> mm. Okay, oh, I like that a lot. <laughs> um, so today at Comic Con, actually, uh, Dan Didio, DC uh, editor, I guess, publisher, mm-hmm. co-publisher, co-editor, 
Um, he was answering questions about Flash Forward, and he was talking about how this six-issue miniseries is going to kick off a major event in 2020, and he talked about like ramifications and other titles. So, um, is there anything that you could kind of tease about that of what Flash Forward could be doing event-wise? Or I could certainly tease Dan about. Uh, telling everyone else before he told me. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. I don't know what he's. Uh, I don't know what he's um, referencing. So. Oh, okay, okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah. He had mentioned that at Comic Con today, so I figured maybe uh, yeah. you would know a bit about it. But uh, yeah, and he had talked about like other titles that it was gonna kind of have, I guess, ramifications onto. I was thinking maybe like Flash, Young Justice, and uh, maybe I don't even know what the third one would be. But it's interesting that Flash Forward is gonna have such an importance i feel like sometimes minis end up getting forgotten but with such an important character like wally i i hope that this will not get forgotten this will be a very important to dc i think that if the story plays out the way it is playing out as of this moment then i think that wally will be a more pivotal character in the dc universe than he has been up until this point so Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's great. I mean, the 2010s were a bit rough on him, so I hope the 2020s are better for my boy because I, you know, I love Wally so much, and he's so important to so many different people. And uh, yeah, I hope everybody listening is ready to pick up Flash Forward and support it because uh, obviously sales talk, and it's easier to talk DC into an ongoing when sa- the sales back it. So uh, yeah, I'm really hoping for the best of Flash Forward. Well, do me a favor. I know. I know you. You. Uh, we talk on. Uh... Instagram, on, uh, Instagram, Instagram yeah. yeah. But you know, I, I'll be eager to see. You have to let me know what your reaction is when we get to uh, issue six. So, yeah, no, yeah, of course. Now. I mean, I, I always try to post my reactions, but yeah, I will, I will definitely let you know. Uh, mm. I, I just, I can't wait for the series. Like when it got announced, I was actually at work, and uh, I was like a few hours late behind everyone. And you know, I like I mentioned, I've wanted this since like 2011 so this is this was so great for me to finally hear the words Wally West has a series again like that's so long uh so how about Brett Booth um we had mentioned oh talking about God, him a little that... bit earlier I mean he's so great uh he ended his DC exclusive I mean I feel like only a few months ago but now he's back yeah, for this about, so yeah about six months ago I think was there any kind of like recruitment process of getting him back in? I mean, obviously Wally's an easy one to get him back in because <laughs> how he's been trying this for so long. But uh... yeah, no, I think um, I think that if they had told Brett that uh, once his DC exclusive was up, that um, he could do a Wally series but they could only pay him in fresh fruit, he would have taken it. So, I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's all, you know, like for the 10 years that we've been working on and off, all he talks about is, you know, Wally West. And so, um, so I'm very, very happy for him that he gets the chance to finally do it. Yeah, this is great. I mean, he's really wanted this for so long, and I, I've seen him talk on Twitter a lot about it. He's so passionate, and uh, I always feel like when you're passionate about what you're working on, that's when like your best work comes out. So, I like you had mentioned some of the pages. I can't wait to see some of those Brett Booth pages, and uh, I believe Norm uh, Rampant, I believe his name is, is doing is working with Brett. So they're a great team. They work on Titans together. So I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's great. Be, uh, yeah, and and you know, I wish I could show you these uh, pages because they're just you know like. They are Brett's, uh, you know, 
they are the the best Brett Booth pages that I've ever uh, seen. So uh, that's that's awesome. You've gotten to work with him for so long, but yeah, I'm I'm glad that he finally got this. That's great. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, that's probably do for the flash four questions for now. We'll probably if we think of any more, we'll bring them up. But let's move on to Red Hood Outlaw for a little bit. First question being, uh, have you ever considered expanding the Outlaws team for Red Hood? Or do you prefer to keep it like one to three characters? Um, I have for years wanted to expand. And anytime I do, I get reined back in. They're like, no, no. The series is about the three of them. And I'm like, okay. So, oh, dang. <laughs> yeah. 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 What would be your ideal team then? Um, I, uh, you know, I kind of, uh, well, I'll, I'll say this is, what I want to do from the aforementioned uh, 43 to 50 is essentially that story. I want to expand not the, I don't want to expand the membership of the outlaws forever, but I do like the idea of essentially if uh, up until now, the three of them have been the dark trinity yeah i would love to see what happens when you know that trinity is at the core of an offbeat group of outlaws like a dark justice league in a way uh in a way yeah okay Yeah. yeah we've dabbled with that question before in the past just on this podcast here wondering if like if other anti heroes in a way similar to jason would be joining the team and similar to Roy, I guess. Like we've dabbled the question of maybe Godspeed joining August Hart or Star Sapphire as the Lantern. And it's just a cool idea having like a dark team and it'd be awesome to see it expand one day. Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting too, but like when I was, I, I used to write a series called the uh, X-Men over at Marvel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, like it was always important for each of the characters to be who they were and you know it was always like you know well I'll just say this is that Wolverine on a team is interesting a team of Wolverines is not interesting Um, similarly like I think like yeah especially with these three you get uh, you know an Urzat Batman and Urzat Wonder Woman and Urzat Bizarre. Yeah, all similar characters. They're similar. Well, they're similar characters, but they all come from completely different places. Like, to me, uh, Bizarro has always been, you know, me, I'm not Superman. Me want to be Superman. Why can't me be Superman? (laughs) You know, me be my own version of Superman. Me, you know, Superman save planet from hurling into sun. Me will hurl sun into planet. You know, it's like that was a very specific bizarro yeah but to me this bizarro my you know outlaws bizarro doesn't really much care who superman is and you know if anything he might be like oh that guy's wearing a costume like a costume like he's not obsessing over trying to be a better superman he's yeah. really just trying to be a best friend to uh red him and red her so i think that you know if 
all three of them were uh, just obsessed with trying to be a better version of these heroes, that would get really boring. And I, you know, my concern with this, you know, with the idea of a Justice League story is just to make sure that we're not just, you know, doing the same idea of, you know, I can't be Flash, so I'll be Godspeed, and I can't be, you know, uh, Green, Green Lantern, Lantern so. so I'll be, you know, yeah, because that'll be, that'll get really, over, you know, boring. So. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're similar in a way from where they come from, like Themyscira and Gotham City, Clone, mm-hmm. I guess is a little different than Krypton, but it's uh, similar power suits, but they're completely different characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I understand that. Yeah, yeah, the idea of outlaw is kind of interesting, and I, I read uh, Red Hood in the New 52, and I always found that kind of interesting because Roy kind of did feel like the outcast among the Titans and uh, even Starfire at points. So uh, mm-hmm. I think it's kind of interesting to have the kind of we're heroes, but we're also outlaws. So that, that's always been like an interesting perspective to me. And, and bringing Bizarro is also very interesting and utilizing him in like said, a different way than just me and yeah. Superman. Yeah, I finally get to have super. I finally get to have him. Uh, uh, I finally get to have him back in the series again, and it's so much fun to, you know, write him again. He's such a fun character. So yeah, um, so sweet. Any time, any word of them returning anytime soon? Oh yeah, they're one, they're one hundred. They return in the annual, which is out in, in like three weeks or something. Oh okay, oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, they'll be returning in the annual into our continuity, but it's going to take them a little bit to uh, uh, make it all the way here. So, yeah, yeah, different. But well, well, I'll just say this: they subplot for three issues. And then after those three issues are up, there's finally a uh, reunion between uh, the three of them. So. Oh, okay. Good to hear. Uh, yeah. Who do you prefer to write, Artemis and Zaro or Starfire and Arsenal? You know what? They were, uh, you know, they're, you know, it's, uh, you know, there's no, uh, they're so different. Yeah, yeah, there's very no way to really answer answer that question, you know. So yeah, it's fair. I think that uh, you know they are, uh, you know, certainly the buddy relationship that Roy and Jason have is not something that he has with. Uh, I'll say this, and it's kind of interesting to me since you asked, but like none of them really have the same relationship. It's not. It's not like when. Uh, uh, Artemis, I'm sorry, it's not like when Roy and, uh, what's her name? I'm sorry. It's not like when Roy and Starfire left the series, we brought in two new characters that were like Roy and Starfire. Oh yeah, completely you know, like, different. Yeah. Starfire and Artemis have no, you know, other than the fact that they are, you know, Starfire really is royalty and, uh, Artemis just acts like royalty um, and then you also have you know the, the relationships they're just not none of the relationships are the same which I really really like about that you know so yeah like I could I, I could have made Artemis like Roy and just made him like this buddy comedy and da 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 but their relationship is you know 
like I think for the most part uh, Artemis feels that she has to be around because if she wasn't Roy would I'm not, uh, Roy, if she wasn't Jason would just you know shoot himself in the foot or you know drive yeah. into a tree or something like you know I, I don't think she has a, a tremendous amount of respect for you know Jason's abilities which again is totally different from every other outlaw so yeah it makes um, sense yeah and so so in that way I, I can't really say that I like writing uh, one I mean what would be, would be really fun for me I don't know if it's possible but it'd be fun to see what would happen if Bizarro had to leave and Starfire replaced him you know? oh okay and how or if Artem yeah, or if Artemis left, or if, you know, Jason left and Starfire had to lead them into space. And, you know, like, that would be really fun to see how the dynamics would change and how those characters would interact. But Bounce off anytime each other. I ask about, yeah, anytime I ask about Starfire, they're like, she's in uh, Justice League Odyssey, so she's in space. I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> you know, no character's ever been in space and been stuck there. Well, stuck there, but also, like, how many times have you seen, like, Superman in space, but in the Justice League, he's stopping bank robbers? Or it's like, you know, yeah, yeah, different titles, different timelines and stuff. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. but, but so someday they may let me write uh, Starfire again. But Yeah. Or maybe, say, if Roy was ever coming back to life, Lazarus Pit, whatever, in another title, and would you want Roy to be back on the Outlaws team? Um, I pitched a series that I really liked, which was uh, Cheshire. Oh, uh, oh finds okay. Roy's body and throws it into the uh, Lazarus pit. Oh, but okay. The Roy, but the Roy that comes out is not the same Roy that went in, and so the mm. idea is, is this would be like the Bonnie and Clyde of DC. This would be like you know. Oh. Imagine, imagine Cheshire and Roy together causing havoc. It's such that's a, actually kind of interesting. <laughs> I, I kind of like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is why it's, they'll never do really it because they don't like. A, they have an aversion <laughs> to interesting. So you pitched yeah. that recently, then, since Roy's body. I pitched it. Yeah, I pitched it, and uh, several people got really excited. Several people were like, "What? Why would we do that?" <laughs> so. So it's never over until it's over, but, you know. That's um, a cool idea, though, yeah. Okay. So so something I'm wondering is how, how long do you either plan or want to write Red Hood? I mean, you've been writing him for so long now. I mean, you're one of the only writers who have, maybe the only one who stayed on from, like, the New 52 book that they were on to the Rebirth book. So is there, like, how, how much more do you want to do on it? Um... I, uh, you know, there are times over the years, okay, I should wrap up in 10 issues or I should wrap up after this. But then, you know, something else comes along and it's like, oh, wow, that could be really fun. So I, you know, like until, uh, I mean, my feeling is, is I'll stay on it until it's not fun anymore. Mm. Yeah. I like, uh, you know, I liked, you know, Jason going across the country and I liked Jason uh, uh, going to the, uh, taking over the casino and did, like, I like you know one of the things that I like about uh, 
Um, one of the things I like about uh, the outlaws is, like I always say, yes, the characters themselves are essentially outlaws, but the series is really an outlaw. Like, I went from like this uh, uh, one story about the untitled all cast, and then suddenly we were in space with uh, Starfire, and mm -hmm. they were like, uh, yeah, you can't put Jason in space because Jason's on space character. And I said, the book is called The Outlaws. If this, if they want to be in space, or if they want to be back in time, or if they want to be, you know, uh, little metal figures on a giant Monopoly board, you know, like, that's <laughs> what the series is. Like, you know, we're not, I don't want to be any one particular thing. It should feel like, the book itself should feel like an outlaw. And... So to me, it's like, yeah, if we want to spend six issues with Jason running, you know, in a suit running the Iceberg Lounge, then yeah, let's do that, you know, and let's, you know, like in this next arc, uh, when the offer comes through. Um, Are you talking about Lex Luthor? Yeah. His offer? Okay. Yeah. His offer is essentially, will you be a better Batman and train the next generation of supervillains uh, um, be like a evil Batman. Well, not an evil, but like well, not an evil Batman. Like it, like Jason just wants to keep these kids alive because he was being trained once and he died, and mm. so he doesn't much care if it's about them being super heroes or super villains he wants them to stay alive that's as far as he's concerned these six kids are entrusted in him to stay alive oh so he's and gonna be training six specific people six young yeah he's essentially it's uh, uh um essentially it's called generation outlaw okay mm. cool and uh, interesting enough it was 25 years to the month it will be 25 years to the month since i did a series called generation x at marvel oh so clever so originally I kept, yeah. yeah originally i was calling this generation o and my joke was in 25 years i would then do a series for valiant called generation xo but <laughs> but so they're calling it generation o i mean sorry they're calling it generation outlaw but it's really you know it's close enough know, yeah yeah, at one point um, there was there was talk, and it may still happen, of a spinoff. And I was in Bob's office, and he said, "Where do you see them when this is done? Like, where do you see them spinning off to?" And I said, "Well, I think they all wind up at Bogum's School for Boys, mm -hmm. but she's opened up another one in Westchester." I, I, li like, I live in Westchester, New York. That's funny. Yeah. But Bob is like, absolutely not. So. Oh, sorry, JD. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so, well, Some just because of, stuff. You know, it would just because it would be the Generation X all over again. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, that's funny. I was trying to be clever, but he's like, no, no, I saw through. school for gifted youngsters. Why? What's wrong with that? So. Are these uh, six characters that? Red Hood will be training. Are they original characters or characters that we might know of? Well, Doomed 
is in it. You remember Doomed from the uh, series Doomed? I don't remember. <laughs> but, um, uh, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, a lot of people didn't. It was at, it was during uh, DCU. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, he's red, right? Yeah, he's red, and he got exposed to the doomsday spores. Okay, and he has, like, glowing hands. Yeah, yeah I know what you're talking about. Yeah, but now he looks a lot more like... Uh, now he's he's evolved, and he looks a lot more like a younger version of Doomsday. Oh. oh. But these characters are the weirdest, weirdest characters that I've ever come up with. Like, there's a character called uh, Babe in Arms... And what it is, is it's a three-month-old girl who is as brilliant as Lex Luthor. And when she was first born, her mother died in uh, childbirth. So Babe wound up uh, building an exoskeleton for her zombie mother who carries her around. Oh, so, cool. <laughs> so the character's called Babe in Arms, and it's a, you know three-month-old genius who's being carried around by her uh, zombie mother in an exoskeleton. So, mm. Which isn't something you read about every day. No, definitely <laughs> not. Definitely not. It's uh, cool. I kind of I kind of dig it, yeah. yeah. And there's a character called DNA who is a, a sentient strand of DNA who refuses to uh, be identified by something as a uh, uh, reactionary or, or no, it was as DNA refers to themselves as they, mm-hmm. and sometimes DNA acts more feminine, and other times he acts more masculine. Mm-hmm. But he, you know, he's non. <laughs> I'm sorry, they are bi- non-binary. And mm. the idea of having to choose to be either a male or a female is something that uh, DNA has no interest in. So, ah. so, oh, okay. so she's very, or he's, or it's a very, they, they are a very complex <laughs> uh, character. So, okay. interesting. So uh, what, what I'm wondering about next is uh, what about all the event Leviathan stuff going on? Because obviously Jason plays a big role in that. Is that something that you had to kind of uh, discuss with Bendis or was it kind of just like he had some stuff laid out and you had to work around that? Like, how did that work? Um, I don't think I am allowed to say. Oh, OK. So. OK, interesting. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I can't, really, I can't really comment on it without uh in Brian's story, so I would not. Uh, so I wouldn't want to do that. So yeah, it's fair. Fine. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, the yeah. Leviathan stuff is interesting. It's been building for quite a while, and uh, Jason's role in all of it seems to be interesting. So yeah, I'm curious to see where that goes. Uh, mm-hmm. Two issues in now, but yeah. Um, so Red Hood Outlaw. Um, do you plan to change the name back to Red Hood and the Outlaws at some point, oh, yeah, or sure. is it going to stay yeah. Red Hood Outlaw? No, I think it's Red Hood Outlaws by next by next month, I believe. Oh, cool. So, okay, yeah, was interesting. <laughs> okay, a lot yeah. of fans have been asking you this, I'm sure, but I just have to ask for sure: Is the white streak in Jason's hair ever coming back? Uh, not. I, I have no plans for it. I think you know, 
I think at one point I suggested it to editorial and they said they were not interested in doing that, you know? Yeah, that's so. fair. <laughs> All right. Just had to ask for sure. Yeah. I think that's you know, sometimes, all- you know, you know, sometimes as a writer, you, you know, like sometimes as a writer, you get blamed for things that are not necessarily your fault. Right. But conversely, sometimes you get credit for things that, you know, you didn't necessarily do or mm. an idea that you didn't come up with but somebody else come up with um but that's the thing sometimes like uh, sometimes uh readers will complain about something and i'll be like oh my god i totally agree with you i, you know, I wish that could change as well and but you know you don't necessarily uh as a writer you don't necessarily get to do you're not to always, you don't always get to do what you want to do so no, that's no problem. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah, that's kind of like a miscellaneous question I had. Um, what What is some of uh, like the hardest challenges for you as a writer? Is it more of deadlines or continuity or, like you said, limited creativity at points or uh, backlash? Like, yeah. wh- where does it come in for you as challenges as a writer? Well, you know, it's funny. I will tell you one thing is that I have this that the worst day of comics is still better than the best day of work, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like, you know, like sometimes I'll find myself raging about a particular issue to that I have to deal with that I hate. And then I have to like, just take a deep breath and be like, oh my God, I get to write comic books for 30 years. You know, like, you know, it's, how can you not be uh, excited and grateful to get up every morning and do that? So, um, so there are, there are, you know, there are frustrations there, you know, like, I'll give you an example is that with death of the, death in the family, death of the family. Mm. The New um, 52 story or? Yeah. Okay. Um, I had been planning where, when Joker took, uh, Tim Drake hostage during a point in that series that we were eventually going to discover that Joker insidiously planted things in Tim's brain that would have him doing horrible manipulative things to the, you know, he essentially created a sleeper agent in Tim and put him back as the leader of this group. Oh, interesting. Um, And it was all done and it's all set up and you see, you know, it happens in this issue and that issue and this issue. And then something happened where uh, Scott was going to do something with, uh, with uh, Jason Todd and at the last minute decided not to. And editorial was so frustrated with that, that they came to the other bat writers and said, you cannot use anything that happened in uh, Death of the Family. And I'm oh. like, well, but I said, but this is already, it's already been in the book. Very like, I've been setting it up. It's this page, like, look at this five page scene, look at this, you know, look at this clue. And, uh, and they said, well, no, you can't do it. So I said, well, what am I supposed to do? Well, like, well, uh, make it Trigon instead. And I'm like, mm-hmm. why does Trigon care about? The Teen Titans that you know doesn't even have uh, you know there's no Raven in the book. Like why do they care? Yeah. Like, like what is you know 
it doesn't make sense yeah 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 and so so that kind of shifted to that and then at one point i had uh you know they did these covers these what the heck covers or remember they did the i think it was like around issue 19 they were gatefold covers so you're supposed to see something on the cover and then the gatefold opens up and you're like oh my god and do you remember these or yeah yeah so we had a conference call and they said okay scott what do you want to do and i said well i want to have a picture of uh tim or red robin holding a wounded uh solstice in his arms and like kind of holding her up Mm. to something and then you open it up and you realize that he's giving her to dr light because she came close to figure out his secret and the way he got rid of her was to turn her over to dr light which would have been like holy you know that would have been wild because you know it would have shown that uh, conditioning under joker Mm -hmm. and you know dr light would want solstice because she's nothing but light powers which would give him abilities above all so yeah, that would like, be an okay. interesting combo right there. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So they're like, so they're like, oh, okay, cool, cool. So then, I, I don't know, six weeks later, I got the cover, and the cover was them fighting Trigon. Ah. Uh. <laughs> and I'm like, why? You know, like, what? Who cares about Trigon? Like, to me, Trigon is like Galactus in the sense that Galactus' only power is to eat the planet. And guess what? He's never going to eat the planet. So, surprise. (laughs) You know. And similarly, Trigon's power is, or his goal, is to take over Earth and, you know, swallow it whole into his own hell dimension. In his pocket dimension, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. and guess what? It's never going to happen. So, you know, like... whole story about how this isn't going to happen so that's why to me i think you know i think the first trigon when he first showed up when marvin wolf uh, marvin george created him i thought he was amazing and frightening and cool but I, I don't see any reason to keep bringing him back and doing the same thing with him and so to plan on getting one cover and suddenly getting another cover and doubt everything i've been planning for six months up until then didn't count anymore that was frustrating but yeah i can imagine wow it's understandable and you know, yeah. yeah and then you read reviews all the time people are like uh lobdell set this up and then it didn't pay off i'm like yeah i hear you kind of like out of your hands yeah that, that's interesting I, you know i never thought about that when i go on you know i'm uh, running a comic book account obviously we all have our fair share of complaints, but you don't think about what goes on behind the scenes that we have no idea about of editorial and change-ups and stuff and stories that the writer wanted to tell that just didn't happen. So, yeah, that's actually an interesting perspective. And, and that's the thing is I don't mind having this conversation years after it came out because it's more of like a historical um, examination of something. But, like, I'm not going to be somebody who's, like, going to go on the message boards and be, like, uh, this issue didn't work because editorial made me do blah, 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 blah. I just, yeah. you know, I mean, I'm getting paid by these people. I'm not going to, like, turn around and poop on them, you know? Yeah, of course. When I, see, when I see writers do that, I'm like, you know what? Send them back their check and, you know, go do something else. 
Yeah, it's never good but, to bite the hand that feeds you in comics. Yeah, and it's and, and like I say, it's it's very it's an impolite, you know. It's just it's an impolite thing to do, you know. Like if you walk away from it and you don't take the money anymore, then that's one thing. But if you're getting paid and you're you know crapping all over the people you're working with, I think that's really low. So yeah. Speaking of uh, Teen Titans, when you were writing Bartor, was that meant to be some sort of indication of Bart Allen, or was that completely nothing to do with Bart Allen? Well, it was supposed to be, you know, like, it's so funny because, like, people will be like, you know, you ruined uh, the relationship between Tim Drake and Bart. And it's like, I didn't necessarily ruin it as much as in this new continuity, there was no Iris who married Barry, who eventually gave birth to uh, Bart Allen all this, you know, a century later or something. Mm. Yeah. The continuity was such that they weren't dating, they weren't going to be together. And so, therefore, there was no Bart. You know, Superman had never been to small or whatever it was. Like, you know, the characters that I were handed, that I was handed, were not the characters that had been around for all these years, but they asked me to write a Teen Titans as if it was the first time this, these characters were getting together. And mm. as that was the case, it meant that all those relationships no longer existed. And my goal was within the first year and a half of two years is we'd start to see a relationship between Bart and Tim that was reflective of their relationship over the years. Mm. Um, and, you know, so all the characters. But, you know, these were all brand new characters. So to answer your question, you know, like, it's funny because I originally wanted uh, um, Bart toward to be a character who was a little more like uh, Fontaine and not Fontaine, Eponine and Les Miserables, where, you know, he was kind of caught up with this bad group, but he himself was inherently good. But because of the bad things that the group did, he was found himself punished and in jail. And when I turned that in, editorial said, you know what, if we're going to make him this conflicted character who has a bad history in the future why not like just go all out make him like you know the leader of the rebellion instead of you know this starving street urchin and so he so the story became bigger than maybe it was meant to be and I don't know if it's uh, I don't know I mean I, I like this story it's you know I yeah like, I think I have to like my run based on what the run was in the sense of like you know if somebody had asked me to write the Teen Titans as if I was writing the 101st issue then it would have been a completely different series but that wasn't what I was asked to do I was asked to create a Teen Titans from scratch using mm -hmm. characters that people love and you know some people loved it and some people didn't so Interesting. Um, so, have you heard the online theory about Bartor um, that 
uh, people have thought about like, oh, what if he is like inertia, which is the Bart Allen's reverse flash. He was like a clone of Bart. And what if now that Bart's back, uh, Bartor could kind of show up again and have a return of Barry Allen type storyline where uh, he goes through the realization of who he is and his villainous path. I know you said he's like inherently good in your idea, but um, do you think that could be a possibility for the character if, you know, he were to ever return in comics or do you think it sounds like a, uh, you know, it's something that I thought about quite a bit ever since I heard the theory. I was like, I could see that going so many different places because uh, Return of Barry Allen, when Eobard realizes he's not Barry Allen, he's Eobard Thawne. I mean, it's one of like my favorite Flash moments of all time. And mm-hmm. I feel like you could do something like that with Bartor and then make him inertia. Uh-huh. So, yeah. But as the co-creator of Bartor, I was curious what you thought. Yeah, no, it sounds like it would be a great, great way in. No. Because, yeah. yeah. He likes it. <laughs> Might have to go pitch it. <laughs> um, you wrote Nightwing for a little bit recently during Rebirth, right after he was shot by, well, in Batman, Tom King's run, and he's now Rick Grayson. What are your thoughts on Rick Grayson? Uh, when I was asked to come in to kind of flesh out the basic idea, um, there were people in editorial who were like, well, why are we going to spend all this time? We know that he's going to be Dick Grayson again. Like, well, you can do it for three issues and then he should. And I said, well, you know what? I said, that's a, it's a really cynical take because, you know, Barbara was Oracle for 20 years. So my feeling is that if you're going to shoot dick and he's going to have this brain trauma that results in him being Rick then I don't think you should do the story for three issues I think you should do the story until you run out of story if that's you know three issues or ten issues or five for twenty years then that's what you should do to, you know the problem with the readership in comic books is that you know creators and editorial will do the same thing over and over and over and then throw up their hands and wonder why the audience isn't responding to the same thing they did over and over and over again you know yeah like, mm-hmm. like if you look at um shows like uh breaking bad or you know all the shows that we breaking bad we talk about game of thrones you know like and these shows were cool because, you know, uh, what is it? Orange is the New Black. Because when you lost the main character, that main character was gone. You know, like when when Ned Stark died, he didn't come back, you know, six episodes later with a, a you know, ribbon tied around his <laughs> head, you know, and been like, oh, I'm Ned Stark. You know, but for some reason, comic books keep killing characters and bringing them back. It's like, you know, like you look over at Marvel and, oh, uh, Cyclops is back from the dead. Wow. Really? Huh. It, yeah, like Wolverine's dead right now, but he's also not yeah. dead, so. Yeah, and, so, and Professor X, guess what? Uh, he's, he's back? Yes, he's back. And it's like, you know, like they keep. 
and that's not to bash Marvel per se, but like companies keep doing the same thing over and over. And then they wonder why readers don't jump up and down and go, well, so oh, that's great. I thought he was dead. You know, like, no, no one thought he was dead. We just <laughs> yeah. thought we were waiting for him to come back. And, you know, like, even when I did uh, in uh, Red Hood and the Outlaws, when I did the bizarre getting smart thing, yeah. when I f- first did it, they said, okay, you can do it, but for three issues, because we know he's not. And just then I got a new editor, and I said, listen, I can I can do this in three issues, like I was asked to. I said, but I kind of, like, want to run down this dark alley and see if there's a story there, you know, and if there is then let's tell that story and if there isn't then yeah i'll come back and you know we'll finish this story but like you know and then that became almost a year plus of bizarro as smart bizarro which really changed the dynamic and the relationships between the three of them that would not have happened if it was just done in three issues and again like when an editor says like oh do, they're not going to believe it, so just do it for three issues. It's like, well, they're not going to believe it because we're not committed to it. You know, like let's commit. You know, yeah. If you're gonna if you're gonna kill Cyclops, kill Cyclops. You know, if you're gonna kill Professor X, who I think is the best character at Marvel. You know, if you're gonna then either you know, kill him. You know, Chris kept sending Professor X away to like the Shi'ar Empire and blah blah blah. And to me, the X-Men are never as strong as when Professor X is in the center of things. So, yeah. Um, but so, so I don't know. So I do think that, uh, I don't know why I started that tirade. Do you remember? With the Rick Grayson <laughs> stuff. Oh yeah. With the, yeah. So, so to me, it's like, you know, it's a story and I think it's incumbent upon them to see where that story goes. But the other thing, too, is like, you know, I think fans can get so angry about a story. And it's like, if if the industry has taught us anything in the last, you know, 10 years since the new 52, it's like, okay, if you don't like something, chances are it's probably not going to last. Yeah. Because if, you know, so it's like, you know, I am proud of the new Teen Titan stories or, or the Teen Titan stories that I wrote. Yeah. I'm not, but I'm not the least bit offended about, you know, Adam Glass's, you know, Titans as they exist now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you know, those were stories by me and Brett. These are stories by Adam and his artists. You know, before that there was Marvin George and it's like, you know, you're allowed yeah. to have writers come in and examine things and you know tell their stories and if you know you don't like that story okay so you didn't like that story it's you know we don't uh you know i mean i I think that we should be uh more open to you know the fact that you know like i'll just say this if people you know there are a lot of people that hate rick grayson and hate the storyline and it's like, okay, you know, that's fine. I didn't, I didn't really much care for the uh, Grayson as uh, Spiral mm-hmm. agent. Yeah, you know, people loved it, but I just thought, Bleh. so, but I didn't get angry about it. I didn't, you know, I wasn't disgusted. I was, it was like, well, okay. 
that's the story. That's the story they're telling. This is another story they're telling. And you know, this story will be done, and then there'll be another for that. Okay, so you do think that Nightwing will eventually return, but until then, it's going to be Rick for a bit bit of time. Uh, you know what? Even if I told you that today, tomorrow they could announce, "Oh, Rick, Rick Grayson's back." So <laughs> yeah, so that's fair. I wouldn't even I wouldn't even venture a guess. You know. So. Okay. Um, but I do think that, like, I mean, you you guys tell me, like, don't doesn't it get boring to just you know, you know, it's like, you know, Better Call Saul is a great show, so we get to see Gus Fring again, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't want Gus Fring to show up in you know, season seven with a big uh, bandage wrapped around his you know the side of his head and you yeah. know, he finds a new suit that you know doesn't blow up this time. It's like. No, like you gave us that character, the character's gone. Let's see what happens next. And, you know, I just think that to me, that's what was so, that's what's so amazing about, you know, uh, streaming television is that the rules that they're breaking are so interesting. And we don't do that in comic books nearly as much as we should because there's always this pull towards nostalgia and, you know, bringing this character back and but. yeah and yeah I, I think a lot of these things are also done in a sales aspect um i think when when dick grayson does eventually return and the cover is of regular nightwing and it says dick grayson is back in big bold print i'm sure that'll sell better than say the rick grayson stuff is selling because people just aren't liking the rick grayson and uh personally i mean i was I, I don't enjoy the concept of Rick. I think it's bold to try something new. And I mean, if comics never tried something new, then we'd be stuck in, you know, the golden age and silver age stuff of nothing ever changing. So, um, you know, it, it's interesting because it's the age of the internet where we have, you know, podcasts where we talk about comic books and there's blogs that talk about comic books and social media talking about comic books. So um, it's tough to try to tell a story. Like, I, I wonder if in the 80s, right, when Wolfman and uh, Perez are doing. Uh, Christ on Infinite Earth. If they have the internet, like, does all that happen? Is the death of Barry Allen turned over in three years because of internet outrage? Right. So it's like a different mm-hmm. time period. So um, I wonder, oh, yeah, like, if, Gwen Stacy probably would have been bought. Back, oh, you know? yeah, exactly. So I wonder if the Rick Grayson story happened way back when, you know, before the internet was such a big thing, would it have been interesting? You know, during the Chuck Dixon Nightwing era, for example. If it was told, then would people have liked it more because you know it already happened in a way? I don't. I don't know. I, I just think it's an well, interesting but perspective. Yeah, and, and, well, Oracle is another example. Like people loved Oracle so much that when they took her out of the chair, there was you know an outrage over the fact that there suddenly wasn't a, a handicapped you know Barbara helping the DC universe. Yeah, but but that was after twenty years. I mean, I would imagine, like you know I'm sure that if the internet and social media ruled the roost like it does now that they probably would have you know after the killing joke opened up with uh, you know Barbara on those parallel bars going thank god I can walk again that was terrible you know yeah yeah I mean it's interesting to imagine that some huge comic events that have shaped modern comics what the twitter outrage would be and uh, if it would stop things from happening i I always wonder because i mean obviously we're just fans we don't know uh does editorial take a notice to this i mean i would think in some note they do but do they take notice to people hating a story online and maybe the sales aren't reflecting and that 
makes them less likely to do certain changes or go back to the status quo because they know that'll be less controversial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, you know. So it's, it's, it's definitely interesting, and I yeah. think Rick Grayson is like a big period well, of that. I, I don't enjoy Rick Grayson, but <laughs> I think it's interesting to try to do something different with Nightwing. I mean, Nightwing seems to be in a bit of a rut. I mean, there's definitely stories that I've liked in the New 52 and Rebirth, but it feels like he's been in a bit of a rut and for years and years, so it's just like... Somebody, some writers are trying to do something different and try to change them up. Maybe it doesn't work out, but it's different. So I, I get it. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, look at you know, look at the the mother of all uh, of those changes with uh, you know, giant size X Men number one. You know, mm-hmm. like, you know, if somebody didn't say, okay, let's give uh, Angel and Iceman and Beast a rest. And you know, bring in this African weather queen, and you know, this Russian farmer poet, and this demon who used to hang out in the circus. It's like you know, like there wouldn't have been an X Men if you know back then. I'm sure people would have been you know, this Nightcrawler character is stupid. Get rid of him. How come? Yeah, you already have the Beast. The Beast is blue. You don't need another character who's you know like. So thank God we that wasn't the way editorial decisions were made back then because I'm sure there would, never would have been a you know an X Men 100 with those characters in it because by 100 they would have been like everybody hates these new X Men let's get rid of them yeah yeah and it's definitely interesting to be reading some of these things like we're living through it now we're living through the Rick Grayson era like I think back to the death of Barry Allen, right? Hardcore Flash fans must have been flabbergasted when Barry Allen dies and Wally West takes over, and especially like uh, before Mark Wade's on the book for like you know sixty issues. Whether it was loved or hated, it's just like this isn't what I'm used to. Like I, I wonder if nowadays it would be canceled. Like how uh, I think Bart Allen's the perfect example of that. Bart Allen's Flash series was canceled after thirteen issues, and there were other reasons behind it, but a lot of it was people missed Wally and Barry. They didn't care about Bart and Internet Rage was part of that. And that's still early on. It's only 2006, but uh, the Internet Rage kind of changed that. So I wonder, like, if there's a big Internet in 1987, does the Wally West flash run never happen? Does Mark Wade never end up taking up on the book and making Wally West who he is? Like, it's it's interesting to think about it like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, Rick Grayson. Um, so I, I just have uh, one last final question, if that's all right, with Hunter. Um, yeah. Just, is there any character, whether Marvel or DC, that you've wanted to write that you just haven't gotten around to yet? Uh, yeah, I mean, I would love to. Uh, I would love to write the Legion of Superheroes. Uh huh. Okay. And and I'd also love to write Wonder Woman. Okay. And, okay. Like I'll tell you that my take on Wonder Woman, I think, is you know like for years it always seems it's like oh I'm going to come here and teach men about you know the world I'm going to like tame man's world or I'm going to you know and to me like I think the reason why she wears that red white and blue costume is because she's come to America and she sees this like homogenized uh uh society not in a bad way but the idea is like she sees a society that's made up of you know men and women different races and different back you know like to her she grew up in this myopic you know 
one way of thinking, you know, one sex, you know, one worldview. And then all of a sudden she comes to America and she's like, oh my God, look, glorious chaos that exists because so many people think so many different ways, mm-hmm. all crammed into this one world, you know, or one country, you know, and a democracy. I mean, there's no democracy. Paradise. I know there's the queen and what she says is much what goes. And, you know, so to me, I think that she just thinks America is like, the coolest, most beautiful, most fragile thing that needs to be defended and fought for, and that's why she's there. Um, otherwise, she'd just go back to Paradise Island. You know, you know, there's even royalty there. So, so to mm-hmm. me, I, that's you know, I, you know, I'm so tired of you know, the Greek gods, you know, story that we. It feels like we're always seeing the same angry and you know Diane's trapped in the middle of, you know so um, yeah so my you know for better my Wonder Woman would be a specific Wonder Woman that I think we haven't seen before mm. yeah no that's definitely and they're uh, probably interesting. people listening thank god keep them away from Wonder Woman <laughs> get her I think that's certainly an, an interesting Wonder Woman perspective, and it's always uh, interesting to see that kind of um, almost like social political climate brought into comics, and when done right, I mean, I think it can be very good. It's some of the best comics, so yeah, I like that. Cool. But uh, all right, um, Flash Forward number one releases September 18th, 2019, so make sure you go to your local comic book shop, pre-order it, make sure you're supporting this series. If you can't get it in single issue, try to buy it on Comixology and websites like that, or get the trade when it comes out in, I would guess, at some point in spring of 2020. Yeah, please um, purchase this issue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah just call me and I'll read them to you individually. <laughs> exactly. Scott, per- Scott Lovedell will read you a bedtime story of Flash Forward number one. You heard it here first, folks. But <laughs> make sure you support this series. It's very important because it's the only way that we could show DC what Wally really means to us. You speak with your dollar. So uh, support the series. and uh, Don't Scott, pirate it. Just go yeah, buy no, it. Don't pirate it. Buy it. Buy whatever you can. And, you know, there's plenty of websites. Midtown delivers and stuff. So there's comics are more accessible than you think so i, I hope people support the series and uh scott i just want to thank you so much for appearing on the podcast yeah, uh, we had a great you. time we had fun. a great time in this interview and uh hey welcome back anytime if you ever want to do another interview maybe after flash forward ends <laughs> all right great if you guys are still talking to me uh, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, i'm sure we will be <laughs> yeah all right well take care yeah thanks guys yeah. Uh, so uh, if you're listening on iTunes, uh, we appreciate a five-star review. And if you're a new listener, hey, we appreciate your subscription. Uh, for a hero story, I'm JD. I'm Hunter, and thanks for being a hero. And I'm Scott Lobdell. Bye. <laughs> and he's Scott Lobdell. <laughs> and uh, thanks for being a hero. And remember, every second is a gift. Bye. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> Bye.